Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 133, John the 13th. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Okay, so last week we wrapped up a series of three popes that was very confusing. We weren't sure who was the pope, who was the anti-pope. We had John Twelfth, we had Benedict V, we had Leo VIII. And today we're all going to get back on the same page. Because when Leo VIII died, the Roman people decided to send a delegation to the Emperor Otto I. Now one source says that they asked him to nominate someone to be pope. But another source, Adam of Bremen, as we heard last week, suggests that they were asking for Benedict V, who had been in exile in Germany, to come back. And that seems to be more likely the case. Benedict V was their guy, and they still kind of saw him as Pope, even though Otto had imposed Leo VIII on them. Regardless, the day the Romans came, Benedict died. So that wasn't going to happen. So Otto nominated someone we have already met to be the next Pope, the Bishop John of Narnia. Now, today it's pronounced Narni, but it's much more fun to say the original Latin Narnia, which is where C.S. Lewis gets the name of the city. Now, the Romans didn't like Otto that much, as we've seen from past episodes, so he sent Lipitrand of Cremona and another bishop of Ro- to Rome to negotiate with the Roman people to get John elected. And it took six months, but finally the Romans elected John Bishop of Rome in early October of 965. John Thirteenth was a pious scholarly man. He was well-versed in scripture and the working of the church. We met him in previous episodes as the ambassador of Pope John Twelfth. He was the papal librarian and was esteemed for his intelligence and his piety. He was also a member of the Roman nobility, and in particular, his family seems to have married into the family of the Crescenzi. And we've already met one of the major families of Rome at this time, the Tusculani. They were the descendants of Theophylax, which included Merozia, Alberic, and you remember a lot of those guys, and two popes in there have already been members of their family. The Crescenzi were also descendants of Theophylax, his other daughter, Theodora, and they were major rivals of the Tusculani. Now, some scholars go so far to claim that John Thirteenth was a full-blown member of the Crescenzi, but most think today that his brother married into the family. Regardless, he had ties with this bigger Roman family. In the crisis surrounding the deposition and exile of John Twelfth and his subsequent reinstatement, John Thirteenth seems to have played a role on both sides. He attended the synod which deposed John Twelfth, but he was also present at the synod which reinstated him. And we see from this a certain aloofness from the various factions present in Rome. He isn't wholly on the emperor's side or on John XII's side. And at least from what we can know of the situation, he doesn't seem like a strict partisan. His papacy, however, didn't start off very well. He apparently tried to rein in the nobles of the city and get them under his control, which they, of course, didn't like. And in December of 965, the nobles of Rome rose up against the pope and against Otto I, whom he had in a sense represented, and captured the pope and locked him in the castle San Angelo. They then exiled the pope from Rome to Campania, where he was kept a prisoner for several months, and he finally escaped with the help of his extended family, one of whom assassinated the prominent count who helped lead the uprising. And the pope ended up in Capua, and with the continued help of the Crescenzi family forces and those of Capua, the Pope marched on Rome in November of 966. The Roman people welcomed him in, killing two other nobles who had led the uprising against the Pope and begged for his forgiveness by hosting the Pope at various banquets and celebrations. But this wasn't going to be enough. John called the Emperor Otto I to Rome to help him sort out this whole rebellion thing. 
And so Otto arrived. He tried and punished almost all the nobles who had stood against John. Some were killed, others were exiled, others were given to the Pope to punish. In fact, John had one of the major leaders of the rebellion shaved, hung by his hair from a statue, placed nude on a donkey, and ridden backwards around Rome, and then finally exiled. So John and Otto thus began a good working relationship, and the power of the Holy Roman Emperor helped tamp down the factional fighting which up to this time had been so present in Rome. In return for a guarantee of papal territory, John presided at a synod convened in Ravenna with the emperor, and the synod addressed controversial issues in the German church and it proclaimed that Otto I was the third most important Roman emperor for the church after Constantine and Charlemagne. Finally, at the end of the synod, the pope invited Otto's son, conveniently named Otto II, to come to Rome to be crowned Holy Roman Emperor himself. So on December 24, 967, John XIII greeted Otto I and Otto II at the steps of St. Peter's Basilica. And the next day, to great fanfare, Otto II was crowned Holy Roman Emperor after the celebration of Christmas Mass. Otto I's next move is going to be to try and establish his claim to the territory in southern Italy. But in order to do that, he would need to work with the Byzantine Emperor. So he got John XIII to help him out there. John and Otto sent an embassy to Constantinople. And it was actually our old friend of ours, the chronicler uh, Liputrand of Cremona, who was the one who went. And he went with a letter from John urging the emperor of the Greeks, Byzantine emperor Nicephorus II Phocas, to be friends with the emperor of the Romans, Otto I. This was a big, big mistake. We've been calling... We've been calling the emperor in the East the Byzantine emperor for a while now, but if you remember, they've always maintained the title of Roman Empire. And now this upstart German, who probably lives in a shack in the woods, is the Roman emperor, and the emperor of Constantinople, the greatest city of the world at this time, is not. This meant Otto was not going to have an easy time with his ambitions down in southern Italy. He had wanted the Byzantine princess to marry his son, but Nicephorus would not have it. And on top of that, several areas in southern Italy forbade the use of Latin or Latin liturgy. Only Greek could be used, just to spite Otto. But like a lot of things in the Byzantine Empire, this would change pretty quickly once Nicephorus II was assassinated and replaced by his murderer, the Emperor John I Tizimikas. However you pronounce that. He allowed Otto II to marry the Byzantine princess that he had wanted to, and the Pope performed the marriage in Rome at St. Peter's. Now during this time, Pope John encouraged a bright young French monk who happened to be visiting Rome. His name was Gerbert of Aureliac, and he was one of the foremost young mathematicians at his time. Gerbert had studied in Spain and had learned a tremendous amount from the great Arabic scholars present in Andalusia at the time. And so the Pope, when he was visiting Rome, spotted uh, Gerbert fairly early on, and he suggested that Otto I recruit him to serve as the palace tutor to Otto II. Now, this is a big deal because this isn't the last we are going to hear from Gerbert of Aureliac. Otto I finally left Rome in April of 972, and not long afterwards, both the Pope and the Emperor were dead. Pope John XIII died on September 6, 972, and Otto I on May 7, 973. John XIII was buried by the doors of St. Paul's outside the walls and was succeeded by Benedict VI, and we will talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on iTunes. Thank you and God bless you.